are going to uh, be coming from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. And uh, today I just want us to look at this uh, passage of Scripture uh, because last week I shared uh, with you uh, the importance of what God has to say when He says, flee sexual morality. This is something we talked about Last week we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we were looking at, um, I want to say is verse, uh, let, me, let me go to that verse real quick. I think it's verse 11, um, uh, first 18, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. And if you remember, this is uh, what we talked about last week. We hit about three things here and I feel it's so important. Why? Because we live in a culture that is sexualizing people every day uh, from uh, from media, from social media, you name it, sexualization of the culture is taking place in our society. And uh, one of the things the Apostle Paul commands us through, uh, through the Spirit, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Flee sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So you remember we were there, we talked about these things um, how important it is that we're to remember what God has to say. Some of the things that I wanted to, that I brought out, and I just kind of want to give you a recap, is we looked at, number one, God created sex from the beginning. Sex was something that God created from the beginning, and He did it in a way that was holy and awesome, and He created it to be done by one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. Sex was the way that a man and a woman would become one flesh and spirit. Remember that we talked about that the two will become one. And if you go on reading there where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he talks about how when a man and a woman come together sexually, they become one. And he said, you would not want to be one with a prostitute, would you? Would you want the temple of God to be united with a prostitute? No. And so uh, he was saying that. And why? Because God had a plan for sex. God had a plan. And so, you know, a lot of times Unfortunately, within the church, we don't talk about these matters because uh, we just don't. And unfortunately, if we don't, they will in the world. And they're going to talk about things that are terrible and, and uh, perverse. But we want to talk about what God has done and why he ordained it. Um, and in this union, man and woman are to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply in the earth, to make more image bearers of God. Amen. You and I bear the image of our creator. And God had ordained marriage for that purpose, and it was to fulfill that purpose. And we, get, we give God thanks for that, was what we talked about last week. Secondly, we look God gave some rules for sex. There were rules. There were things that God said that were in bounds and things that were out of bounds. Let's use that terminology, right? In Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 18, we saw this. We looked at how um, there were certain relations that should not happen sexually with people. One of those was you would not to have sex with your own family member, a close relative. That's called incest. We were not to have that. That's not to happen. God did away with that, right? Um, the other things we looked at, you were not to uh, uh, have sex with a woman during her menstrual cycle. You were not to have sex with uh, a man, uh, as a, a man with another man as he lays with a woman. You were not to have sex with animals. And so forth. We saw these uh, uh, particular things that God said were out of bounds. This is not what I made intended sex to be. And I rem if you remember, when we were talking about this, I mentioned to you that when people are engaged in sexual moral behavior, they have idols in their lives. 
Because if you remember, there was also do not offer up your children to, to Molech. In that same passage of Scripture, right in there, in the middle of all these relations you're not to have sex, he throws in, uh, do, do not offer up your children to Molech. Well, here it's not, in, and I believe in this context, it's not, if we're following the context, it's talking about offering your child up to prostitution. Because also in those uh, Molech temples and different type of idol worship, temples they had male and, and female prostitutes there and uh, and there was a lot of things that went on that were demonic and that is what usually leads you might think well I'm not going to a temple to worship but maybe you're worshiping the idol self or you're worshiping the things of this world and therefore you begin to say well you know what I, I know what God says but I think this is okay to do I, I love the person so we're just going to have we're going to do whatever we want to do because what love is love right well no that's not what God intended sex to be done and also we talked about the consequences for, for being sexual immoral, right? We talked about how those who practice sexual immoral behavior would not inherit the kingdom of heaven. This was found in 1 Corinthians chapter, nine, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. In Ephesians chapter 5, 5 through 6, I'm just giving you a recap. And Revelation 21, 8. And the good news we talked about, we had, there was some good news that the Apostle Paul gave uh, for the sexual immoral. And that good news that he sent his son to pay the price for that sin. Amen. Because guess what? Whether you're sexual immoral, you're a liar, you're a thief. You needed the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary for your sin. Amen. And Jesus came and paid the price for the sexual immoral. I love this passage of scripture where he made, a, he made this comment. I want to read this to you. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking at verse 11. And he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of, God, of our God. Isn't that awesome that there's good news for anyone who is engaged right now in sexual morality? There's good news that you could be washed from your sins, you could be sanctified, and you could be justified through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's good news, and you could turn away from that and turn to what God has to say. So that was my recap of what we did last week, and I wanted to uh, let you know that. And I uh, want to thank those who are watching through YouTube or Facebook. Thank you for being on, on with us, and I pray that this message will minister to you. If you're going to listen later on the podcast or watch, uh, be sure to hit the like button and the subscribe so you can continue to get messages and support this ministry as we uh, continue to reach people uh, not just from right here, but all, all over where the podcast or the YouTube goes out. Thank you once again. We pray that God will minister to you. And we, if you're local, we'd love for you to come visit with us and worship with us at 3 o'clock in the afternoons on Sundays. We'll be here ready to, to greet you and welcome you. And we thank God for one, a guest that came today, and we're so grateful for that. Um, and uh, pray that God will minister to our guest. Um, so let's move on. So today I want to talk about the pursuit, a, uh, a believer's pursuit. Sorry, a believer's pursuit. You, you, we just were told we had to flee something. And one thing I love about God is God doesn't just say, don't do this and that's it. God always gives you an alternative. God's always going to give you and me an alternative on how we're to live. God is going to say, okay, Here's what I don't want you to do. Here's, let me remind you of this. Y'all remember in Genesis when God told Adam that he should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
right? Remember that? God had spoken to Adam, and he says, if you eat of this tree, you're surely going to die. But before he tells him that, he said, you can eat of all the other trees in the garden except this one. Now notice this. There was a, a don't or a fleeing from eating of this one, but you can have all of this. And notice what our flesh, the world, and Satan do to us, because that's the three enemies we have in our lives. It wants you to focus on what God says not to do, rather than to focus on everything God has allowed you to have. <laughs> it's the way Satan works. He wants to uh, kill, steal, and destroy. So he wants to make you focus on things that, uh, you, you know, you can go right into that. And God doesn't want that for you. There's a reason, there's a way that God wants you to live. So God never tells you to flee something and leave you out the dry hanging. Okay, what do you do now? No, God is purposeful. And he's going to give you a purpose. He's going to, he, you know, he transfers you from the kingdom of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of light. <laughs> he takes you from darkness into light. He takes you from unrighteous living to righteous living. <laughs> God always has a plan for what he's doing in our lives and he wants you to pursue certain things. I want you to see here with me. Turn with me to our main text in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 11. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 11. Let me go there myself. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Look at the things that God, he tells Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, one who was a son in the faith to Paul. Paul ministered to Timothy, raised him up in the Lord, laid hands on him. And as we remember, he would tell him, fan the flame, the gift of God in your life, to fan it in the flame. He, he gave Timothy instructions on what he should do in the churches that he placed him over. And, and he tells him here to... Uh, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Well, the things in context here were, uh, were it was talking about teachings uh, that, uh, that, uh, that don't lead, a, lead to godliness and uh, people who felt like uh, they were greedy. They were, look, they were saying godliness was a means to gains. And he was telling them to flee these things. But not only would I believe that he was just telling those things, but as he told us in Corinthians, flee sexual morality. Well, then if we're going to flee that and we're going to flee greed and we're going to flee uh, things that don't uh, teachings that don't bring about godly living, then we ought to begin to see, well, why we're fleeing that. What do we go after? And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Today, I want to only talk about two of them and next week we'll continue. But the first two I want you to see is God wants us to pursue righteousness. See, I was living in unrighteousness when I was sexually immoral. That was unrighteous. Why? Why is it unrighteous? Well, because God says it's unrighteous. You see, this is the importance of God's word in our lives. You're not going to know what God deems righteous and what God deems unrighteous. You're not going to know what God deems good or evil if you don't get in the word of God. When you are away from the word of God, then you are left with the word of man. And we all know what happens with the word of man. The Bible says, let every man be a liar, but God's word be true. Men will lie to you, will deceive you to gain power and control over you. But God's word is true. His word is living and active. And see, the enemy wants to keep you. Your flesh doesn't want you to be in the word of God. Why? Because when you get in the word of God, you begin to 
your mind begins to be renewed. And the stinking thinking gets out. And you begin to think God's thoughts. What God has to say about things. And, and you begin to change your worldview. Your worldview no longer becomes a, a secular view, but now it becomes a biblical worldview. Now you see the world through lenses that God has given us through his word to be able to see and discern what is in front of us. See, the word pursue means to seek after eagerly, earnestly, endeavor to acquire. Paul commands men and women of God to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness in a, in, in a means, in a way that you're endeavoring your life, you're committed to these things, to pursuing it in such a way that you want to grasp it, you want to acquire these things in your life. You don't want to be, you know, it's not just sitting back, but you remember we talked about this not too long ago. The antidote against you abandoning the faith is living a godly life. Godliness is the antidote against you abandoning the truths of God's word, living a godly life. What does that mean? We're going to get into that in just a minute. But I remember, I remind you that this is what we talked about. We've been God has been building some things as we've been coming together as a family of God. We've been coming together. God's word has been open to us and we're looking at these things and God continuing to remind us of these truths. We're to pursue it. We're not to pursue. It it, it means there's an activity that has to take place in your life. You're not going to pursue. You're not going to. Um, acquire righteousness in the sense of what we're going to get into here in just a minute. I want to explain what I mean. But you're not going to acquire that, the righteousness that Paul is telling you to pursue here by just sitting on your derriere and doing nothing. Or just going about your life and living life and just doing whatever. Get up and go. and No, it's not going to happen that way. See, righteousness here is not seeking to attain right standing with God by observance of some law, but seeking to live in integrity, virtue, purity of life, uprightness, correctness and thinking, feeling and acting. That's what this word is, is also means. Righteousness is not just where we're, we're looking for, to be right with God. Well, we know we can be right with God through who? Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. Amen? Righteousness is already imputed, imputed to the believer. Remember uh, what... what uh, when, they, when Paul writes about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. We need righteousness. We're not talking, Paul is not saying to pursue that because it's already been given to us in Jesus Christ. We, we, we're not looking to pursue that, but we're, when I, I was looking at Matthew Henry, he made a comment about this here, this concerning pursuing righteousness. He says this, righteousness in his conversations toward men. Now, you and I, because of our side of, of, of when this was written, uh, when Matthew Henry, he was way back. He's an old guy. He's way back then. And he writes, he says, righteousness in his, in his conversations toward men. Now, you and I think of conversation as of, has, of us talking. But uh, in the old English, that's not necessarily what it means. I, I went on Webster's 1812, 1828 dictionary, and I looked up the word conversation. This is interesting. Look what it says. Um, it means general course of manners, behaviors, deportment, especially as it is in respects to morals. 
You and I today, we talk about conversation. We're just talking about two people having a, a little talk. Communicating with one another. No, here he's saying it's the manner in which you live, the behavior in which you live. Look at this. This is what uh, Webster, one of the scriptures that he, he quoted uh, for us to look at concerning this. Uh, I want you to see this real quick. Uh, it's in Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 27. Look what it says. If you had a King James Bible, it would say uh, conversations here. But I want to read it in mind in the ESV. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see, it says, he said, only let your conversation be worthy. Well, as, we, as I defined in, as I read the definition from Webster's Dictionary, uh, conversation isn't just only a conversation between two people talking, dialect. It actually means your behavior, that it needs to be in a moral way towards each other. Man, isn't that awesome? I thought that was interesting. And uh, just because you know that in time, words, they, their words and their definitions mean different. I remember, just, just to say, I was reading uh, Boston Primer. Um, it was what they, they taught children in, in the, the founding of this country was the textbook for I don't know how long. And uh, you would see faith. It was not an F. It was an S. The way they wrote back then and the way that they... I, I don't know why, but F was an S. And there are, over time, sometimes words, def, the definitions of word change. And we see that today. And not always, it's not always for the good. They're, they're changing, I mean, minute by minute. I mean, we got words changing all the time. Um, they, they change the meaning of a, a, a depression in the middle of one. No, this ain't a depression because we're in one. So they change it to say something else. Unreal. All throughout history, this was, there was a definition for depression, but I guess this administration, they don't go by that definition. It's something else now. So uh, all, the, all the, uh, the, the people of the past who wrote what this is and the people who did uh, the finances in this country what they said and defined a, a depression to be is no longer that according to this administration currently. <laughs> I'm not lying. You can go read this for yourself. I mean, you Google it. <laughs> You'll find them changing the definition as they go. In other words, we are to behave in such a way that is moral toward one another, toward men. So when he talks about Pursue righteousness. It's not right standing with God because you can't get any right, righter than you are in Christ. He's already made you right. Because there's nothing you and I can do to ever be right with God. There's not enough works that you can do to be right. God has made us right and it's finished in the Son. But this now is how do we treat one another? We need to be right towards one another. We need to have a behavior or a way that we don't take advantage of one another. Well, how do I, Pastor, what do you mean? So when we talked about fleeing sexual morality, what does that mean? Well, my behavior towards a woman who is not my wife needs to be one of moral, uh, of morality, not of one of immorality. I'm not to commit adultery against my wife. 
and uh, you as a single person are not to fornicate. Why? Because God made sex for what? Marriage between one man and one woman for life. That's where sex is supposed to be happening. It's there. The, the marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. Marriage is to be held holy, and, and it's undefiled, the bed. Proverbs 15, 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but, the, but he who loves, oh, excuse me, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Proverbs 15, 9. Matthew 5, 6, one, uh, one of our, everybody knows this passage. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, there, our pursuit of righteousness is not to be right with God, but to do justly between each other, to do what is right between each other, because ultimately that honors God. In order to pursue righteousness, we need to know the word of God. In order to know what God deems moral or immoral. You're not going to know what God, what immoral dealings or unjust dealings with your neighbor is if you don't know what God's word says about it. If you don't have a clue of what God has to say concerning how you live your life with your neighbor, if you don't know that, then you're going to do things that are not right. You're going to lie. You're going to steal. You're going to covet. You see, you're going to do things that are immoral because the creator says they're immoral, not because some law said it here on earth but because God said it. You know, our Constitution is powerful because it reminds us where our rights come from, our Creator. They don't come from government. Government can't give you rights. They only take them away, unfortunately. The government it cannot give you rights. It will take it away. There is no law that man can pass to, to bridle a man's heart unregenerated. We need Christ and so for you and me, we're to pursue um, godliness is the next one I want to finish here tonight with godliness. We're to pursue it. Righteousness has to do with how we relate with men and godliness is how we relate with God. <laughs> one moment I'm to pursue righteousness in my dealings with my, my neighbor. And now I am to pursue godliness, which is my dealing with God. My relating with God is to have a heart after him. Remember, uh, not too long ago, we talked about godliness, and, and one of the definitions that we learned concerning what godliness uh, is, godliness is a heart devoted to God, which leads to living a life that is pleasing to Him. This is now, in your, relations with, in your relationship with God, it is what you're focusing on, you're pursuing knowing Him. I want to know you. Amen? I want to know Christ. Godliness is, a, is where a man or a woman of God pursues to know Christ and find out what pleases him. Lord, what is pleasing to you? What, what can I do to, to please you in my life? What will, what will bring you glory? Let's read over here in uh, Philippians chapter 3. I want to go back there. Philippians chapter 3. And I want to give you an example of, of a godly life, of godliness. The Apostle Paul was an example of it. And he's a good example for us. Again, this is Philippians chapter 3. Go there. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Look what it says. But whatever gain I had, I count 
as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by, one, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Paul demonstrating what godliness is, is this desire to know Christ above everything, that you would say, I consider everything loss for the sake of knowing Him. That's now where a person is pursuing Christ. They're pursuing to know Him. Oh man, I pray that we would get a, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know Him better. This is God's will for you to know Him. The Bible says eternal life is this, that you will know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent. That's eternal life, knowing Him. Knowing Him. Oh man, I love it. David's, David's writing in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it says, As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David demonstrating godliness. It's a desire for God. It's a heart devoted to Him. I mean, David, in, in all his sin, God called him a man after his own heart. Hmm. We can't understand that, but thank God that God knew David better than we did because God made him. Today, you can, you, can, you can say your heart is devoted. Can you say your heart's devoted to God? Can you, can you really say today, man, my heart's devoted to God? Am I, am I living a life that sounds like that? Am I saying, Lord, I want to know you? I want to know you. I, have you come to a place where you're, you're saying, man, I'm, I feel like David has a deer pants for the flowing streams. So pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I want to know you, Lord. If not, I have good news for you. All you got to do is ask. You know, maybe you're not where you need to be right now. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. See, our Heavenly Father wants us to ask Him. I mean, didn't He say, Jesus said, You who are evil know how to give your children good gifts. How much more your Heavenly Father not give you the Holy Spirit? God, if you would just say, Lord, I want, I ask you, Heavenly Father, to give me an undivided heart for Jesus Christ. I believe if you are sincere, that God will answer you. Oh, Lord, give me a desire again for your word. Ask him. Just ask. Ask, Lord, give me a desire for your word to know you. To know you, to make you known. I want to know Christ that I may make him known. 
I want to gain. I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want to close with this. I'm going to finish here in uh, Philippians. I want to read the, the next couple verses. And I think this is good news for us. Look what Paul writes. This is the Apostle Paul, the man who is being an example of godliness. Look what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what, is it, what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. God is doing a work in us, man. We're, 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 uh, we're under construction. We are under construction. God is doing a work, a sanctifying work through his spirit as we yield to him and as we surrender to him, as we continue. The Bible says that John writes that that we purify ourselves because we're waiting. Because when we see him, we're going to be like him. See, God's predestination for your life is that you be conformed to the image of his son. God has a destination for believers. He has a destination for you and me. It's not to look like this world, but to look like Christ to the world. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you're so faithful, Lord, even when we're not. And I want to pray right now for those listening right here, those who are watching or watching later or listening later on the podcast. Lord, my prayer today is that you would speak to their hearts. And if they're not where they need to be and they've recognized that, First, I want to speak to the person that's lost, that does not know you. There's good news, Lord, that you gave your only begotten son, that whoever believes on him, Jesus Christ, would not perish but have eternal life. For you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Lord, I pray today for that person listening, that today if they hear your voice, they wouldn't harden their hearts. They would call on the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right where you are, cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. I believe you, Lord. I believe that you are the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you are the son of the living God. And I believe that God raised you from the dead when you died on that cross. I give you my life. And if you're a believer today and, and this word has ministered to you and, and, and you have conviction in your heart of where you are, today would you be like the Apostle Paul and recognize, hey, forget what's behind. Press on towards the high calling in Christ. Press on towards him. Press on to know him. Repent that times of refreshing will come from the Lord and begin to do what God says Begin to do the things you did at first, as Jesus said to the church in, in, in the book of Revelation, who the Laodicean church that were lukewarm. Do the things. Return to your first love. Ask him, God, give me an undivided heart again for you. Give me a love for your word again. Desire for your word, Lord. I've lost that. I, I've, I've laid it down somewhere. And I want to pick it up again, Lord, because I need it. I want to get rid of all the things that are entangling me. And I want to run the race that you marked out for me. 
I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. If that's you today, give God praise and thank him that he's speaking to you, that his love endures forever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.